0: I need your thoughts and prayers today, but I believe God is in this. And uh, I would love to see just a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost today before we leave. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. Now Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it, and Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. Then he said, Take the arrows. Not one. Take arrows. Plural. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed, or he smote three times and quit. He smote the ground three times with a quiver full of arrows. He only used three. He had a quiver full, but he only used three. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou hast smitten, why, thou should have smitten five or six times, then thou hadst thou smitten Syria till thou had consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice or three times. And Elisha died, and they buried him, and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land, at the coming end of the year. I want to speak to you for a little while today, and this is a whole new paradigm for me to preach, but I want to speak to you for a little while today about the malady of boredom. The malady of boredom. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for your patience and standing and you may be seated. At some point in life it will slip in, it will sap your energy. And it will do its best to distract you from vision and purpose. It happens to the best of people. It happens to the worst of people. It's an attitude that says, eh, live and let live. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. There's an element of church people who have literally gotten bored with either God, church, family, their jobs, and whatever else you want to put in that blank. I'm going to stop right here and say in passing, Charisma Magazine uh, wrote in the, I believe it was the late 70s, early 80s, about a true uh, label of identity, they said Charismatic Churches was their uh, the label they put in that, that blank, said that they had a hard time keeping their people coming to church. So they went through one church, the pastor would dress up as various Hollywood heroes and come to the pulpit dressed up like that. One Sunday morning he came dressed up as a Long Ranger with all the music and all the the stuff to go along with it, another church moved all the stuff off of their platform one Sunday morning, and had groups of men, men of two, uh, made up of two men, uh, groups of men, and they would come and and do MMA fighting on the platform too. And they would advertise that and market that. Y'all come out to church at brother so and so and brother so and so is going to be fighting each other in the ring up here. And an MMA style. Another church tried that with wrestling, uh, wrestling doing the uh, professional, uh, take off the professional wrestling market and industry. I know of a church right here in Central that really marketed church one Sunday night. It was the night of the Super Bowl. And said, everybody come and we'll all watch the Super Bowl on the big screen. And uh, at halftime, we'll have some music and worship and take up an offering And then when the third quarter starts, we'll shut all that down and put the ballgame back on the screen. People are doing these kinds of things because church people have become bored with church. They've become bored with God. They've become bored with their experience with God. I decided when I read that article... I was an evangelist back then, or or moving into evangelistic ministry. I wasn't going to do that. I would never do that. I would never move to that arena of feeling like the church has to entertain people. I don't believe people should have to feel the need to be entertained when they come to church. We're not going to play movies and do Football games and, and wrestling mess, matches and, and whatnot. We're not going to get into that here. If the preaching of the Word of God and true worship and all of that, if that's not enough to keep you committed, then you have some soul searching to do. Amen. Church goes beyond an iPad and a smartphone. It goes beyond all of our electronic devices and all that stuff, even during church. Why has that happen? I believe our culture has created an entertainment industry. It's created a culture of entertainment that we have to be entertained by something all the time. I remember growing up as a child. Some of you will, of course, remember growing up as a child, but I haven't got to my point yet. I uh, hope you remember growing up as a child. Uh, but uh, I remember sitting around the house sometimes and telling my parents, I'm bored! And my dad's response to that was go outside and find something to do. All I had outside to do was my bicycle and maybe a dog. That was it. Now kids have rooms full of toys and electronic stuff and Uh, On and on, and you understand what I'm saying. And they're still bored. It's a cultural thing. I'm here to preach about that for a little while today. Church people are even bored, and they hope that pastor doesn't stir the pot too much. And they don't want to get overly involved in anything. They get a diversion, a hobby, or a project that will keep them occupied. They have essentially sold their soul to the malady of boredom. They will give up whatever is necessary to be entertained or occupied. They become addicted, literally, to activity no matter what it costs. They do just enough to be average, not too much or not too little. It's a sort of boredom with all aspects of life and that sums up the plight of many Americans in our day, but sadly it seems to be the sum total of many Christians in our day as well. Apathy and boredom have settled in for a long, cold, dark night of the soul. Patricia Meyer Spax wrote a book called Boredom, The Literary History of a State of Mind, where she explored the concepts of boredom. She discovered that whatever, however long that idea of boredom may have been present in our world. It really wasn't until the 18th century until the words bore and boredom were used. She came up with a theory that one of the reasons that boredom began to start with was because of the emergence of leisure and the decline of orthodox Christianity and the newly elaborated notion of individual rights, implying, among other things, that people have a right not to be bored. Boredom is not good for your health. It has been known to be directly linked to backaches, headaches, insomnia, and chronic fatigue syndrome. Other studies have shown it to be closely related to alcohol and drug abuse. Some psychiatrists and psychologists believe that boredom has caused some of the psychological problems that people contend with in our times. Several psychologists noted that the causes of boredom were unfulfilled expectation, unchallenging jobs, too much speculation, and too little participation. The passage of Scripture that we read a moment ago gives us a picture of two men who are on total ends of spectrum. One is a prophet who has seen dead children come back to life, and axe heads float, and all poured out out of a bottle until it filled many vessels and several other mighty acts of God. The other is a king who is evil, and has been detrimental to the spiritual life of Israel. Now the prophet is dying, and the king is looking for him. This is a strange occurrence in and of itself that a king would come to visit a dying man, much less a dying prophet. Before it was over, the king would be weeping because he knew that the prophet would not be long for this world. There was a prophetic authority that still gripped the old man because when the king came in to see him, he took complete charge of the situation. Elisha was not flattered, neither was he rattled, that the king would show up in his tent. I want to say to us today again in passing, if there was ever a need for an apostolic authority in the church, it's now. I believe we have more pastors that are afraid to step out on faith, to step into that realm of authority. They're afraid they'll offend somebody, they're afraid they'll hurt somebody's feelings, they're afraid they'll lose somebody. And so they tolerate things in their church and they shy away from apostolic authority. And there is just the same a need for the church to submit to it and not get bored with it. We should pray and fast for it. We should pray and fast that a submissive spirit comes on us when we're tested by apostolic authority. There is something about spiritual authority that will get you through some of the most challenging situations that the devil and life can throw at you. But it must be sought after with a passion. It does not just come to us because we have a half-hearted desire for it. There has to be an earnestness that goes along with it. The Bible talks about things like referring to the walls of, of, uh, and the temple being rebuilt in the Old Testament. The Bible said it was earnestly repaired. Jeremiah 1.17 talks about things that were earnestly protested. Jeremiah 31 talks about things that was earnestly remembered. Luke 22, Jesus said to pray more earnestly. Paul said to covet earnestly the best gifts. 2 Corinthians teaches us to earnestly desire some things. James taught us to pray earnestly. Jude 3 talks about to earnestly contend. For the faith, you can't do this with an attitude of boredom and half-heartedness and lukewarmness. God wants people to be fired up for him, excited about him, passionate about him, loving him, committed to him, dedicated to him. God does not want a bride that is half in and half out. You must remember that this prophet that the king is visiting, his prophet Elisha, he pursued a double anointing, a double portion. He wanted more than even Elijah had. It did not matter what it cost him. Elisha went after it. When Elijah told him, no, you stay here, Elisha said, no, I'm going with you. He had a desire to pursue and to be full of everything that God had to offer him. And it must be our posture today. I'm preaching to Grace Church with my heart this morning. We don't have time. We don't have occasion or opportunity to just sit back and be mediocre and half-hearted. I believe God wants to give the church an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, but it'll be up to us if we ever receive it or not. I am going to prove to you in a moment that prophecy has the potential to go wasted. I'm going to prove that to you in a moment. But A.W. Tozer said, notice the screen. There is considerable truth in the idea that revivals are born after midnight. For revivals or any other spiritual gifts and graces come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification... That every man is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is certainly as full as he wants to be. That spiritual authority that was attached to Elisha caused him to give orders to this king. And then he was able to give a message from the Lord to this king. Some hints about King Joash are given in 2 Kings chapter 13. I want to point out to you today, and I want you to listen to pastor. You will note that he spent a reign of about 16 years. And the scripture tells us something about King Josiah, that it does not about any of the other kings of Israel and Judah. It tells us one thing about him that it does not say about any other of the kings. There's the usual mention of his character about the fact that he was evil. But then there's the mention of the most important event in his reign. And that was the war with Amaziah. And then the Bible said that he died. The reason the Bible mentions that is because when he went to visit Elisha, Elisha said, You have a quiver full of arrows. Shoot every one of them, is what Elisha was hoping he would do. He only shot three. Elisha said, Had you shot all of those arrows, you would have destroyed this king Amaziah. You would have gotten rid of the Syrians forever. But you got bored with the process. he didn't finish, and Elijah's prophecy over him was wasted because King Joash never completed the commitment that the prophecy commanded. Will everybody hear that? Can I preach a little bit this morning? Getting off my notes again. Bear with me, Brother Greg. We come to God at sporadic moments in our life where we're committed to the teeth. And we want God to do this, and we want God to do that, and People walk in my office, or they'll catch me out in the lobby, or they'll catch me, or they'll text me. Pastor, I just left the church. And man, I've been praying and fasting, praying and fasting, praying and fasting. And they go on to say, I believe God spoke to me and said, I'm going to do da 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 But what people don't realize is when God gives you a quiver full of arrows, You need to be willing to hang around long enough to shoot all of them. You don't shoot two or three in the prayer meeting and then expect it to be a done deal. There's more process if you want to have the prophecy come to fulfillment in your life. Anybody feeling me here this morning? I've had more than one parent come tell, talk to me about Grown kids, teenage kids that says, Hey, I I, I just can't get my kids in church and I I can't get them interested in God. I can't get them interested. Could it be that at some point in their upbringing, you got bored? And all this prophecy stuff wasn't a big deal. You didn't shoot all your arrows. when King Joash came to Elisha the Bible is very clear he knew he knew who he was going to see he knew he wasn't just going to see Joe Blow that he looked up in the phone book he wasn't going to a good marriage counselor he was going to talk to the prophet the man of God the man who had seen axe head float and had seen babies raised back to life and all of that he was going to talk to that guy And that guy prophesied over him. So following that account comes this visit. You'll notice that Joash's words towards Elisha were full of honor and respect, but they were empty of faith. Oh, I love you, Brother Prophet. Reverend Elisha, I think you're amazing, but I don't have one ounce of faith in what you're about to say. The respect was there. But the faith was missing. There are times in our conversation that's very similar. It's functional. It's helpful and respectful. But it doesn't contain faith nor obedience. So there was a reason the words of King Joash were of concern and desire. The king was worried about the assaults of Hazel and, and, and he feared what would happen when the old prophet died. Now it appears as if they were going to be at the mercy of their enemies and King Joash was fearful of Elisha dying and, and there was some honor with those tears but there was also some selfishness and motive, self-motivation, self-interest in those those tears. Much of Israel may have laughed at the prophet when he was alive, but they were going to weep and sob when he was gone. As a matter of fact, Joash cried when Elisha died. Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, what he was saying is, you're the most powerful man on this planet. You speak the oracle of God. You have the authority of God on your life and what you say God honors. And I'm not going to have that anymore in my life when you die. The king knew that Elisha was the chief security of the kingdom. The king knew that any attack by the aggressors would be held off because of his godliness and anointing. What an honor this evil king was putting on the prophet. He was saying, I may not live like you live. I may not believe like you believe. I may not worship like you worship. But I know there's some spiritual power in your prayers And I know that there is something to this lifestyle that you call holiness. The anointing and holiness and prayers of God's people are the greatest protection this world has against evil in our day. Our prayers are more potent than physical weapons. That is why we have to keep living it and praying it because there's people all around us who are dependent on it. Don't tell me that there's not backsliders all around us that are comforted by the fact that they can still drive back Grace Church on Sunday morning. And the parking lot is full of cars. And they can drive by on Wednesday night. And the cars are back. And they can drive by on Tuesday morning. And they know there's some ladies over there in here. They're praying and talking to God. They get comfort out of that. And they don't want us to change that as a church because there are some old enemies out there that are terrified. By the prayers of God's people. And it's the only hope our world has. It's an old-fashioned praying, worship, and holiness, Bible-believing church, and we can't get bored. So let me ask you a question. Are great prophecies wasted? On board? Arnold, people, folks, uh, may this uh, this is a burr under my saddle, and it's been here a while. I've, I've I've had moments. I've had very intimate moments with church families, where they come to my office and say, "Pastor, I'm burdened because a preacher prophesied over me." I hear that. Uh, I hear it often, and uh, in some cases, there was a a time limit put on it, that it 30 days this was going to happen, in 60 days this was going to happen, and and it didn't happen. And the, the, the preacher said it. He has a reputation for prophesying. My heart was smitten. Just uh, several months ago, someone was thinking about making a conversion. Had served God once in their life and was thinking about serving God again. and They're visiting a church and a very well-meaning evangelist walked up to this person and said that you've done blah, 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 blah and you need to give your heart to God and they're looking at this man like, I haven't done any of that. I mean, name specific things. Well, then they want to go back to their pastor somewhere and say, explain that to me. So I do realize that there is an element of zealous preachers that prophesies over people. And I'll just be point blank honest this morning. I don't believe a word of it. But then there's other times when God does speak. There are times when what God says is real. But we don't want to hang around long enough to finish shooting the arrows. We get bored with the process. We get bored with waiting. I'm tired and our faith goes weak. Our faith goes stale and doubt creeps in all around us. So, are great prophecies wasted on people who just simply get bored and tired of waiting on it? Elisha's instructions were for King Joash to take some action. Don't look for the path of least resistance, but assemble your army. Equip them with the weapons of war and go after the enemy. That was the instruction bottom line. And if you'll do what I say, King Joash, God will give you the the victory, but you still have to equip your people. You still have to do your part. You're not going to go home and sit down on your fanny. Get your sword, get your spear, get your chariot, get your guys with slingshots, get your archers, get your men that can throw a spear, get your footmen that can fight with a sword, you get everybody. And you go out on the battlefield, I don't care how bad it looks, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, God will give you the victory over this country and you will never have to fight them again. But Joash got bored with the process. Somebody hear me today. King Joash was to be an instrument of Israel's deliverance. But it was only if he could trust in the Lord and put to action the prophecy of Elisha. So once King Joash picked up his bow and arrows, Elisha told him to open the window and shoot the arrow towards the east, and he did. And he said, okay, you'll conquer the Syrians." But then he said something else after that. And if I can just illustrate, Brother Steve, come up here for a second you to do a posture like you're shooting an arrow. Come up here so everybody can see. This is what Elisha did. Put his hands on him. He said, you pull that arrow back real tight, and you let it go. And get another one. Get another one. You pull it back tight, and you let it go. Get another one. Y'all get what I'm saying here today. Let it go. And then Elisha steps back. So, what are you going to do? Are you going to get bored with it? Are you tired of this already? Or are you going to fire those arrows until your quiver's empty? God, thank you. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. (laughs) There's, There's folks here today, and they're spattered all over the building. That God equipped you with a quiver full of arrows. And you shot some. And it was amazing. And you shouted and danced and you rejoiced. And you talked in tongues. But something happened. And with God just standing there saying, Okay, what are you going to do? If you can't finish here, Joash, you'll never finish out there. If you can't shoot up all of your arrows in the presence of God under the anointing of the Holy Ghost with the prophet's hands on your hands, with the Word of God just surging through your body, admit it, King Joash, you have never fired an arrow that far. It was never shot that accurate as you did those first three. So I'm going to step back and I'm going to see what you do now. And in the presence of the most mighty man in Israel, Joash essentially said, I'm bored with this. I've done enough. I got the point. I've shot enough. I'm just going to go on my way and go on about my business. And the prophecy was wasted. You can find me, Greg, if you'll notice the screen. Because of that, because of that, he had the prophet's hands on him. He was in the presence of God, in the presence of the most mighty man of Israel. The last prophecy, the last prophecy of Elisha never reached his potential. It was wasted on somebody who was bored and carnal, and I ain't got time for this. Wednesday nights are just too boring. I ain't coming no more. And Sunday school is just too boring. I just come at 11. We have a lot of folks doing that. You know why you do it? Because you're lazy and you're bored. But when you get your back against the wall, you're going to want God to swoop in and take care of all your trouble. There's a lot of preaching that goes on over this pulpit that's wasted because you have to do your part. It's not just up to the preacher. It's up to you. So the last prophecy of Elisha never reached its potential. That curse is alive and well in our generation today. Many want the deliverance, they want the blessing and the bounty of God, but are unwilling to give allegiance and submit to the prophetic voice and the hands that are present in their lives. When the authority of the Word of God and the strength and guidance of its hands are lost, the soul of a man is all will, will, will cave in. Revelation and inspiration are lost. Instruction and in righteousness ceases. Man wanders to and fro without direction. Eternal things don't matter anymore and they lose their priority. Spiritual matters are denied and forsaken and the ap- I for prayer's laws. I plead with a modern day apostolic church to let the words and the hands of the preacher and the word of God have an impact in your life. I submit to you today, there's things that the ministry sees coming that you never see. I live in I told you so moments quite often. People come with this happened, this happened, I told you so. Told you it's going to happen. If you choose this path, this is what's going to happen. We have to understand that God's hands on our hands is the only sure way of success. God's voice in our ear and hearts is the only way of true direction. The next instructions of Elisha appeared to be a bit more perplexing. He said, Take the arrows. And he took him, And he said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote the ground three times and he stayed. If you study the passage and if you study the language, what Elisha wanted him to do was not just hit the ground, but to shoot the arrows if you study the language. And just shoot them and shoot them until they're all gone. And then you go to your next guard down the line and say, give me some more arrows. And you go to the next person, yeah, I'm going to shoot arrows. I'm going to stand here all day long. I'll stand here all night because the prophet said, shoot arrows. And I'm going to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And there's people in our world today that do that same thing and their lives and their their families are blessed beyond measure. Why? Because they're obedient. They submit to the Word of God. So when so when it was apparent that Joash wasn't going to shoot any more arrows Elisha got angry with him. The Bible said he was wroth. Before you get too upset with Elisha getting mad, look at what Jesus did in his earthly ministry when he went and cleansed the temple. and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He got angry. Prophecy was wasted on the nation of Israel. Because they got bored. God wasn't pulling enough rabbits out of the hat. He wasn't entertaining them enough. The boredom of Joash caused Elisha's prophecy, his last prophecy, to be wasted. So you could stand on the riverbank. You could stand on the riverbank when a very frustrated and irritable Naaman just wore out with this little old Jewish servant girl telling him about a prophet in Israel that if you'll go and talk to him and do what he says, you get rid of that leprosy. And his wife said it wouldn't hurt anything. Naaman, go on and do it. And when he gets to the prophet, and the prophet said, Go to the Jordan. And you know the story. Naaman argues with him. I mean, does it have to be the muddy, nasty Jordan? I'm going to say, Go look in the mirror, dude. That water's awesome compared to you. You're eating up with leprosy. You look like something out of a horror movie. But he's trying to negotiate. He finally submits and gets into the water. And you just want to scream after the first dip and nothing happened. Keep going. After the second dip, nothing happened. Keep going, man. You're doing good. You've got five more to go if you want the prophecy to come to pass. So he goes down the third time and nothing happens. And the fourth time, nothing happens. It had been easy to say, you know what, I'm bored with this. I'm in a nasty river it tastes disgusting. It looks disgusting. It feels disgusting. I'm making a fool out of myself. I ain't doing this no more. And he have walked away with leprosy. It'd be easy to tell the woman, the widow woman, that the prophet told her to go gather as many vessels as you can. Get them from your neighbors. Get them all up and down the street, everybody. And take that little cruise of oil you got and just start pouring it. It'd be real easy to get bored with that after a while. I I think I'd give the lady some credit. Okay, is 10 pots of this enough? Brother Prophet, I've I've just filled up 50 pots. Is that enough? What's, What's the matter here? You're getting bored? That miracle of that oil never going out in your little vessel, never running out, you're getting bored with that miracle? You need another one? why people get jobs where they have to work all the time they're bored can't sit around i used to think it's about money but I, I, I've, god's redirected me on some of this i believe just bored if i work a lot of hours i don't have to hang around my family if i get this hobby i don't have to hang around and you know go all the daily day stuff i can go off and have a good time because i'm bored and i don't appreciate the value anymore of what i've been doing What about the disciples out fishing all night long and they're tired and they're wore out and they've had enough? Jesus shows up at the when the sun's coming up over the horizon. Y'all throw your net on the other side of the boat, you'll catch more fish you know what to do with. Really? Where were you three hours ago when we were doing this? Where were you five hours ago when we were doing this? We are wore out with this mess. But they did it. They hung around to throw the net. One more time. David Brainerd said, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could again but gain souls for Christ. While I was asleep, I dreamed of these things. And when I awoke, the first thing I thought of was this great work. Hudson Taylor said, I feel as if I could not live if something is not being done for Jesus. We know the Apostle Paul to be probably the most one of the most passionate men that ever lived when he came to the kingdom. In Romans one, he used the terminology without ceasing. Romans one, he used the term in part. He said, I purposed. He said, I'm ready. I'm not ashamed. He talked about patient continuance. He said, we glory. We're buried. We should walk. We were planted. He talked about the body of sin. He talked about freed from sin. He talked about live with him. He said, live Let not sin thereof reign. He talked about yielding. He talked about being delivered. He talked about serving and walking and mortifying and being led and received. And he said, I'm persuaded. And he talked about being not high-minded and beseech. He just constant, constant. Seventy-six times he used phrases like that just in the book of Romans. I just know in my heart today that our days of productivity are not over. God has far more He wants to do for us. But we have chosen how much of the Holy Ghost we want in our life. And that's all we're going to get. If you want more, you can have more. If you'll stand with me this morning. Sister Murphy and Casey were cleaning out some of the Sunday school room cabinets, their closets several weeks ago and Sister Murphy brought with me three handwritten notes. We guessed that these notes was written about five years ago. <clears throat> Might have been longer than that, we're not sure. They're not dated. Brianna, would you come stand up here for a minute? Is Heather here? Is she here today? There, she come stand up here, sweetie. I don't want to embarrass you, ladies, but you're going to help me make my point. Just come stand right here, just for a second, then you go right back to your seat. Brianna wrote. You remember that, by any chance? See, she don't remember it's that long ago. It's okay. I'm not trying to be funny But she said god is doing something in my life i'm still not sure what it is but he has a plan that i'm trying to follow brianna has never gotten bored with her relationship with jesus she's been one of the most committed young people that i know her commitment, she became a youth camp worker. She was a youth camp student, got the Holy Ghost at youth camp when she was 14, 13, 11. I think there was seven of our kids from Grace Church got the Holy Ghost all on the same night. She loved youth camp so much when she got was old enough, she wanted to work youth camp, went every year to youth camp worked in a concession stand, became a salt member, prayed countless kids through the Holy Ghost, counseled with them, worked with them. She never got bored with God in her life. A few years ago, she went on a missions trip, changed her life. And out of God's kindness, when she got home, she met an amazing, committed as much as she as Christian man, and married him, married him. This is what God does. This is what God does. I want to give you this note. You have it. Never got bored. Heather Tear. They came to Grace Church six years ago. How old would you have been six years ago? Sixteen. Never got bored with God, to my knowledge. She wrote in that same setting, same class, same day. What I need to do for his kingdom, dot, dot, dot. I need to know what and how. At a point that I am getting completely over old wounds of another place in time. She's never gotten bored with God. She also worked at youth camp is as a SALT team leader. She's also been on a missions trip. give her heart to God. God has blessed and guarded her every step of the way. Thank you, ladies. You can return to your seat. But I'm holding another note in my hand from another young lady, and I'm not going to call her name. But she put in that same class that same day Tipping point, selling out completely and committing to my calling and becoming active again in my ministry. But this person got bored. They're not here today. They haven't been here in a long time. Why? Because they got bored with God. So there's some ministry, there's some preaching, there's some fruit of the Word of God that's in this person's life but today it's being wasted because they're not doing their part as this service progresses I've come to realize that I'm in the will of God here today more than I imagined more than I anticipated because this room right now is full of people that at one time you had a quiver full of arrows and God told you to start shooting. You shot a few, but things happened. And you walked away. And now you've got hobbies and you've got this and you've got that. And church just ain't a fit for you right now. I'm not going to say everything I want to say. But I want to tell you and I want to remind you, those arrows that you didn't shoot however long ago, they're still in your quiver. They're still in your quiver. They're still in your quiver. So anytime you want to step back into the presence of God and say, God, I'm back, I've got another arrow. And I'm going to start shooting again. I'm going to start firing away at the enemies in my life. And I'm going to shoot as far as I can, as hard as I can. And I'm going to accept the hands of the prophet on my life again. I'm going to accept the word of God in my life again. I'm going to do everything I can because this malady, this disease, this illness of boredom has virtually destroyed my life and the life of those around me. And I'm tired. I'm tired. Of living. I'm tired of this path. I'm tired of all this stuff that I'm doing. I'm tired of all of it. I want to be back under that umbrella of a power and anointing and God. I still have my arrows. So while they began to sing softly, I'm going to invite everybody to come on up around the front as our custom is here. I'd love for everyone to come, everybody to come. And if nothing else, just tell God, I've still got those arrows. God, those arrows you talked to me about two or three years ago, five or six years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, i still got them. I never shot them. I still have them. And I don't believe, God, that it's too late for those amazing words of God that's been deposited in my life to go to waste. God, if you'll let me back into your presence again, I'll shoot those arrows. Oh, God, I'll shoot those arrows. Come on, somebody. Reach over your shoulders. Reach over your shoulder and pull that arrow out. Say, God, I'm going to fire it one more time. I'm going to pray one more time. Come on, Mama. Pull that air out again for those kids. Pull it out. And fire it again. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody let the Lord have His way right now. You know what to do. You know what to do. Lift up that face. Lift up that face. Lift up those hands and say, God, I'm in your presence again. Oh, God, I'm in your presence again. I'm going to pull back on the string, I'm going to let the arrow fly. Oh, oh.